Hey, man, you all, you were good to go? Yep, I'm ready. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special podcast edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. I've got Patrick on the phone. This is George, and we want to talk about the marathon men's world record that was run just over the course of the weekend. Patrick, you watched it? Absolutely. Uh, I didn't catch the whole thing, but I definitely try to get up and watch it. Did you it was actually, an exciting day to be in the running community. For sure. Did you actually get up and watch it? You know, I tried to stream it, and I think I ended up just getting the highlights shortly after it was done. But either way, it, it, it worked out and was kind of exciting to watch since I was just behind on everything. He lowered the world record by 77 seconds. Um, that is the, uh, the most that anybody has lowered the world record since Derek Clayton lowered his own world record from 212 to 209.36 way back in 1967. Uh, to put that in perspective, that means that he won by about a quarter mile, um, or he uh, not won by a quarter mile, but actually lowered the world record by about a quarter mile. Um, and then, in addition, the, the one of the things that stood out to me, and Patrick, you tell me if you saw this, there was a, a recap video uh, that several people I saw posted on Facebook and stuff, and it shows him basically running about the last 400 meters or so, and he crosses the finish line, he's very happy, he goes and he hugs his coach, uh, they pose for pictures together, he catches his breath, he kind of makes his way back over in front of the finish line, he bends down, he prays for, for a bit, uh, and then he stands back up and starts shaking hands with the fans, and all of that took place before they even reached the time on the clock, which was the former world record. <laughs> anyway, uh, two groups of pacers he had. There was a there was a group of pacers that set off at 202 pace, and Elliot Kipchoge was the only person in the race that was going to be running with all of them. Uh, there was another group of pacers that set off at 203 pace, um, and then the first 5K they went through at 1424, um, and uh, then they went through at 1437, then another 1437, and then two of his three pacers ended up dropping off right there at the 15K mark. Um, that didn't slow him down. He actually ended up running his uh, fastest 5K of the whole race, the very next 5K from 15K to 20K at 14.18. Uh, they hit halfway at 61 minutes and 6 seconds, um, and he kept on plugging away. They ran 14.28 for the next 5K. Then his last pacer dropped off right, about to, right after about 25K. Uh, left him solo for about the last 16 or so K, which would be a little bit over 10 miles. Um, he ran a 14:21. He ran another 14:18, and just kind of kept plugging away. Um, crossed the finish line after running the second half in 60:33, 60 minutes and 33 seconds for uh, a negative split and a stunning uh, uh, finish time there. Uh, and at the finish, he said, "I lack the words to describe how I feel. It was really hard during the last 17 kilometers, but I was truly prepared to run my own race." I had to focus on the work that I had to put in in Kenya, and that is what helped push me. It was my aim to smash the world record, and I felt confident before the race. I've now run 204, 203, and now 201. Who knows what the future will bring? I'm really grateful to my coaching team, my management, the organization. I'll definitely return to Berlin. Berlin, for me, is eternal. Patrick, what do you think? Oh, gosh. So, well, yeah, there's a lot to digest here and a lot to kind of unpack and discuss. But the, I'll, I'll kind of start with the first thing you mentioned in that it's amazing that we just had somebody break a record by as large a margin as he did, by 78 seconds. That's the largest we've seen a world record drop since, I think, 1967. Yeah, since 67. And, I mean, think about it. That was, like, before Nike was even invented, correct? <laughs> I mean, just to give you yeah, an idea yeah. of how long ago that was. Now he's, like, the Nike, you know, breaking to superstar, but he is literally dropping the world record as if we are just now entering this market or just now, like, 
creating this idea of running shoes and kind of a running culture and, you know, a jogging culture. I mean, that just doesn't happen in sports. And when it does happen in most sports, it's when, for example, the NFL changes rules to make it easier for quarterbacks because they want more higher ratings. Mm -hmm. But in a sport like running where the, the, the sport really hasn't changed at all, to drop it that much is just phenomenal. I mean, it's, it's almost unthinkable. I, I, I can't, I, going into the race, I never would have imagined he would have done something like that. Right, right. Uh, and, and, and most people, even when they thought about his breaking the record, I mean, you know, you would think about, okay, he's going to break it by five seconds, 10 seconds. Um, but yeah, 77 seconds, um, you know, by about 30, 30 or 35 kilometers into the race, it became clear, uh, that he was going to break the record. The question only became, you know, exactly how much is he going to break it by and can he get under 202? Um, and of course he did both those things. He went well under 202. He was 22 seconds under 202 to, um, Nobody else had ever run under 202, and he runs 22 seconds under 202. I mean, just just amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, to, to, to put it kind of, to break it down even, even further, so we talked about how much he really dropped the world record. And, and in most sports, like I said, you don't see a big increase or, or change in the world record. You know, usually progress is, is very incremental, unless there's some kind of, you know, fundamental rule change, right? Right. Um, I mean, he dropped the world record by like roughly three seconds per mile yeah i mean that is really phenomenal when you really start to break down just how much faster he was going mm -hmm. um and if, and if you want to break it down even more which and i think you you kind of started to point this out up until up until his magical race uh the fastest half marathon split in a marathon was 101 flat mm -hmm. okay and that was on the downhill first half of london and Kipchoge essentially went out in 101.6, so he went out in the fastest half marathon split ever, and then negative split it. Yeah, <laughs> which is quite which is quite a race plan, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah, Sc score one for negative splits, man. I mean, you know, I mean that's just incredible that that it, even at that level, negative splits is is what ends up getting you the record. But yeah, even the even if you look at like the 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 61 or the 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 61 minutes flat that they went out for the first half in London. Um, even that, that crushed everybody in the field. Now, granted, they didn't go, go out quite as evenly in London. They, they went out at under 14 yeah. minutes for that first 5K. But still, I mean, um, it, it crushed everybody in the race, including Kipchoge, as a matter of fact. Now, him being crushed meant that he was, only, he was merely able to come back in, in 103 after that. But, uh, but yeah, to, to then actually pick up the pace over the back half of the race when his pacers are falling off, during which time he was mostly solo... Um, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, and, and to, to kind of get kind of drill down even deeper, um, to me the amazing part when I when I rewatched it or or watched it for the first time for me was his pacers dropped off pretty quick. Oh, yeah. um, I mean it was it was not long. I, I mean I think it was by like the halfway point or so. Most of them were gone. Yeah. And what's interesting is I remember when they dropped off, he kind of surfed and then he almost kind of let loose for a, for a five k or so. Before kind yeah. of selling back into a, into a pace. Yeah, and that's kind of what, what I was saying there. Two of them dropped off at 15K, almost right there together. So a little bit over nine miles in. And then and then he ends up running his next 5K after that 15K, where they both dropped off in his fastest 5K of the entire race. He runs 14.18 for that next 5K. Um, in that first nine miles, it was interesting because he was sort of, um, you know, looking at the replays of it, he was like trying to direct his pacers to like run tighter formations and so that he could get a better draft off them and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there's a degree to which 
when they kind of dropped out of the way, it was almost like he was freed up to run the pace that he wanted to run and the speed he wanted to run and the style he wanted to run. You know, um, the only other time he ran that fast for the whole rest of the time is when his last pacer dropped off at 25 kilometers at, you know, roughly about uh, 15 miles into it. Um, and once again, he ran another 1418. So, you know, he actually, he actually ran more strongly without pacers than he did with pacers during the race. Yeah. So just, just phenomenal. Uh, and that was kind of nice to see too, especially since he, there was some criticism with the Nike breaking to, uh, mm-hmm. the pacing, but just, just phenomenal to see it and really exciting. Yeah. Now, now speaking of pacers and people helping him out, let's give a quick shout out to the guy who was his bike escort. If you all didn't see this, you, it, it's worth kind of going back and taking a look at um, his. He like like all major races, including all the way down to like the Peachtree Road Race here in Atlanta. Um, but all major races tend to have escorts on bikes for the people who are in the lead of the race. Um, and he uh, he had a bike escort guy who was on a mountain bike uh, that was riding with him the entire time, who was like on point. The guy got every single one of his drinks, got every single one of his gels throughout the entire time, um, and just uh, except for the very last one, um, and uh, undoubtedly you know helped uh, helped Elliot Kipchoge be able to focus on what he needed to focus on, and that of course was running two hundred one thirty eight thirty nine. So yeah, uh, pretty impressive to the uh, bike escort guy. <laughs> Yeah, everybody needs a good friend, right? (laughs) Everybody needs a wingman. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about some of the things that that struck us about it. One of the first things that struck me about it, and this is actually more of also telling the story of the race, is that when he did cross the finish line, he's kind of well-known, Elliot Kipchoge, is for being very mild-mannered. And I think people, particularly Americans, really appreciate that aspect of him. And he was more effusive than, than you will pretty much ever see him when he crossed the finish line. He was pumping his fist. He banged his chest a couple times. He started hit, hitting on the top of his head. And then he, he, he ran directly across the finish line into the arms of Patrick Sang, who is his coach and his mentor. Um, and the two of them kind of celebrated and smiled. And, and, and it, was, it was more happiness than you see from this brilliant runner than... than uh, than you ever see from this brilliant runner. So, so yeah, I was kind of it was kind of neat to see that. Um, that suggested to me that this is something that that has been weighing on him. I think that that most of us uh, have seen the way he's done so well over the course of the last several years, and undoubtedly he's the best marathoner in the world over the course of the past five or six years. Uh, you know, he's done eleven marathons. He's won ten of them. He won the uh, he he won the Olympic marathon in two thousand sixteen. You know, he ran uh, uh, two flat twenty five during the Breaking Two project. But clearly, this was something that meant a lot to him. Clearly, this is something that he was trying to do, um, and so that was cool to see him, you know, overflowing with that much happiness and that much joy and that much pride in his accomplishment. Yeah, you know, it, I think it doesn't matter if it's a first-time marathoner or the world's greatest marathoner. To me, one of the big telltale signs in terms of how they feel about the race is, you know, if they've crossed the finish, if a runner crosses the finish line, the first thing to do is grab Gatorade. That means they may be satisfied, may not be super happy, you know, that kind of thing. But when they go straight to their loved one or their, the one they're closest with who's at the finish line, that's when, you know, they're almost so overcome with joy that they, like, they've accomplished something they almost maybe never dreamed. Or, like, it really is kind of, um, they've reached their A goal. And it, it was fun to see, and I'm glad you picked up on that as well, because it was pretty amazing to see him, just run straight to his coach and really kind of embrace him and um, just show a level of joy that you don't always see with professional athletes, right? Because yeah. when you're a professional, you're 
you're very focused. You kind of almost have a, a militant approach to your craft. And this really kind of showed kind of the human aspect of it, right? Like another thing I loved is he was smiling as he was running. It's the final 100 meters or so. I mean, he just had a grin from ear to ear yeah. Um, yeah. running the final 100 meters or so, you know. And, and it was, it was, it was a different sort of grin. Right? It wasn't just that Elliot Kipchoge always smiling grin because he does grin. He does tend to smile a lot in races, but – but yeah, there was something about his level of happiness that seemed special um, and and unique, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think you said it well. When he he definitely seemed like an athlete who had something that was weighing on him, mm-hmm. and finally that that monkey had been taken off his back for yeah. sure. Yeah, I think so um, too. And it, and it's it's so interesting to see too because we're used to thinking of professional athletes as kind of being you know on a different level, but it's interesting to see how they have the same pressures or the same feeling of. Um, you know, just really wanting to accomplish a goal in, in a way that maybe a Boston qualifier does or a first-time marathon or somebody trying to, to reach a new kind of scary goal um, right on. on a random Saturday or Sunday. Right on. The most pleasant exhaustion. Very good. Um, <laughs> That's right. So a couple other kind of things to say about it. Um, one is that I saw a lot of people, um, you know, the reason why we decided to, to record this sort of special, very short uh, uh, podcast extra here is because there was so much talk about it yesterday online, um, on our page, on our Facebook page, but also just more generally. You know, uh, half of the endurance athletes that I'm friends with on Facebook, I feel like, posted articles about it. Um, nobody was posting about their own training yesterday, which was kind of great, actually, because <laughs> because because, because nobody, everybody, everybody knew that their own training or whatever they did today doesn't really compare to what Elliot Kipchoge did. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I did see one poor soul that posted. She she's like, oh, I you know I run my I ran my first marathon. Or no, I ran my marathon PR, and then like moments later, my timeline was flooded with Kipchoge videos. I was like, right, "That right. is poor timing on her part." Yeah, yeah. Well, we d- we <laughs> did. So I did know two people. I'm DM friends on Facebook, and we do have an IATL athlete that also ran the Berlin Marathon and ran very well, as a matter of fact. So I was happy that they they posted as well because because uh, they certainly deserve credit as well. But but yeah, I I went for a training run yesterday, and I definitely wasn't going to be like, "Hey, look at the training run that I did when Elliot Kipchoge is out there running." 26.2 miles at 439 pace, faster than anybody else has ever done before. <laughs> um, but you but, did run the same amount of time as Kipchoge. That's a fine point. Yeah, I just ran 10 miles shorter. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, um, the, the, one of the things that I saw... Um, and and I did want to address it, and by all means, uh, f- folks, you can you can weigh in on our Facebook page or on on our Twitter, or send us emails at George at ITL uh, uh, Coaching dot com or Patrick at ITL Coaching dot com. Um, but a lot of the stuff we saw was about the sub two, and people were like, "Oh, sub two is right around the corner now." Oh, yeah, it's not going to be long before people go sub two. I don't think so. Um, and I'm not yeah. trying to I'm not trying to throw water on it, and I'm not trying to be like like no way. Um, I do think that ultimately uh, somebody will go under two hours, but the idea that that now Kipchoge has run two hundred one thirty nine, and then now somebody else is going to come back next year and chop off another ninety nine seconds and and run uh, under two hours, I, I think I think you need to back up to the very first thing that we said. This is the most that anybody has actually cut any time off the marathon world record since nineteen sixty seven. Um, What's more, Elia Kipchoge is a transcendent athlete. He is a once-in-a-generation runner, um, and he's been trying to do it for six years and just was finally able to do it just on Sunday. And so the right conditions and the right athlete all have to come together in order to run a 201.38. 
it's hard to imagine the right athlete and the right conditions coming together for anybody to run under two hours anytime in the next little while here. I mean, it's it's there's nobody else who's knocking on the door. Do you know what I mean? Um, like Dennis Cometo, yeah. who Dennis Cometo, who's the guy who had the world record prior to to uh, Elliot Kipchoge breaking it yesterday. There were like six or seven guys that had run within 20 seconds of that record, including some brilliant runners, um, until, of course, Kipchoge just had this gigantic breakthrough. There's nobody else who's run within a minute of what Kipchoge ran on Sunday. Um, and so the idea that, oh, now somebody else is going to come along and just PR by, by five minutes and run under, under uh, two hours, like sometime in the next couple of years... I don't think so. And so I do think ultimately the two-hour marathon will be broken. But the idea that, that, that this means, that, that his running 201 means that, that now 159 is right around the corner, I think that's that's incorrect. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say you're not throwing cold water on, on the situation. You're more just appreciating just how phenomenal the feat was that we just yeah. witnessed. Um, I mean, this, this was, uh, you know, Barry Bonds hitting 70 homers without the steroids. I mean, there's almost no other comparison outside of, like, maybe Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points in a game or something. Or maybe you it's say one thing to beat a record. Five, yeah. Maybe you say right. nine, I mean, five, it's one thing. Yeah. Right. It's one thing to beat a record in sports. It's another thing to just obliterate it entirely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think for sure this record is probably going to stand for a long, long time. Unless, like, unless maybe Kipchoge beats it, you know, himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even that, I mean, he's been knocking at the door for several years. And as you mentioned, he had to keep trying for several years before he finally got some good conditions. Um, I mean, he's had some races in the rain recently. He's had, I believe he had uh, some shoe issues a, a few years ago. I think it was yeah, yeah. 2015 Berlin, Marathon. The, the, the insole of his, it was at the Berlin Marathon a couple of years ago. The insole came out of his shoe and he ran 204 with the insole flapping around outside of his shoe. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so I think we have just witnessed an absolutely historic feat. I, this is probably not something we're going to repeat anytime soon. Um, I mean, to, to, for the record to fall again, you'd either need another transcendent talent like Kipchoge or for him to just beat it himself somehow. Right. You would need great conditions, and you would need a fantastic build with, with very few or, or no injuries kind of hindering the build. Right. And I think as, as most marathoners and triathletes can, can appreciate – you know, when you're, you know, really going for the gold and really kind of trying to, to go after, a, a, you know, an A performance or an A race, you only get about one of those a year. And generally about one out of every three or two out of every three or two out of every, you know, four or so are going to be hindered by factors that are outside of your control. You know, the weather's not great that day. Um, there's maybe a nagging injury or two, um, you know, just things of that nature. So to your point, I think, this is certainly a, a record that will stand for a long time. Um, you know, a, a lot of the records, like in the 5K and, and the half marathon, et cetera, you know, tend to are currently you know 10 to 15 years old. Yeah. So I would imagine this one will, will last quite some time as well. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and I, I would love to be wrong about that. <laughs> you know, and and, yeah. and But but I, but I do think it's important what you said, and I appreciate you saying it that that. There, there is a degree to which I feel like some people, um, it, it's almost like lessening the accomplishment by saying like, oh yeah, two hours is right around the corner now. It's like, no, you need to take a step back and appreciate what a, what a phenomenal and brilliant performance this 201 was um, and, and what a breakthrough it on its own was. Um, let's see, a couple other kind of quick things to say here. Um, 
is he the greatest of all time? Um, I, I've seen that bandit about just a little bit. Um, I, I think personally, I, I don't think I'm quite ready to, to say that he's the greatest marathon or the greatest distance runner of all time. I still think that that, that title has to go to uh, Haile Gebrselassie or Kenanisa Bekele. But at the same time, I, I do think this puts him in the conversation for the greatest of all time. And I do think it, 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 it solidifies and cements the, uh, the, the, his position as the greatest marathoner of all time. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty similar to you um, in that, you know, the greatest distance runner of all time, that's hard because it's like, do you, do you count the 5K and as, as the greatest, you know, as a distance or a middle distance, right? Um, that kind of a thing. There is a little, you know, so there's kind of some semantics involved. But to me, this does, in my mind, if you ask me who's the greatest marathoner or my favorite marathoner, it would definitely be him. Yeah. And to me, this is also a little bit like the – the LeBron James, you know, block in the 2016 championship where it's like, okay, we've known he's a superstar. He's had super, he's had some great moments. This is the defining superstar moment that almost like is caps off his montage, so to speak. Or like when yeah. we talk about his career or we want a brief highlight, this is it. This is the Cliff Notes version you can just give to kind of, I shouldn't say end the argument, but really kind of solidify or put an exclamation point beyond just the, the, the the length of the accolades or the number of accolades for sure unless he breaks two hours sometimes over the course of the next couple of years <laughs> right 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 yeah i agree with you i agree with you um let's see um one last thing i want to say and then i want to see if there, there are other sort of uh, uh big reflection big takeaways you have from it um you know i had a, an athlete who um i was talking to maybe three or four months ago and she was saying why is it that elliot kipchoge never signs up for New York City or Boston. Like, do you think they'll ever be able to get him to come? And I said, no, um, not this year at least, and probably not next year either, um, because he's still chasing times. He's still trying to run that world record. Yeah. He's still trying to, 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 to get you know 202.57, which is the old record. Um, now I wonder, since he has this record, whether he'll stop worrying so much about time and instead we'll say, okay, now I'm going to go off and try and win New York. Now I'm going to go off and try and win Boston. Now I'm going to try and... And, and whether whether he'll he'll sort of expand his resume a little bit with more wins, if you will. Um, now that he's got the time, will he want to go get more wins? I, I just think... I, I don't know. I'd like to see that. But at the same time, if he still feels like he can run faster, I'd like to see that too. Um, he did say, you know, in that quotation that I read that he will one day return to Berlin. We'll see. But I think it'd be fun to see Eliab Kipchoge at Boston or at New York. I think it'd be a lot of fun. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point, um, in, in, in explaining why he hasn't done Boston or New York so far, it's absolutely because he was chasing the time. Um, you know, he was, I should say chasing the time. That makes it sound cheap maybe i mean it's that was his primary driver right that was the primary yeah. driver behind his training behind everything he did was how fast of a time can i get he wasn't necessarily concerned about winning a race right. which is a nice you know luxury when you've won nine out of the last 10 marathons to almost right. say yeah I've, I've, I've won plenty of marathons that's beneath me at this point <laughs> right. um but yeah it, that's certainly interesting you know what he'll do in the in the future who knows It'd also be a little interesting to see if, you know, maybe some shoe politics get in the way of that. Uh, huh. I, think, I believe he's an Adidas guy, and, like, Nike no, he's really kind of crammed no, the ballot. No, no he's, a, he's, a, he's a Nike 4% guy, remember? Oh, what am I saying? I, I, yeah, that was a total mistake. I was saying he was a, he's a <laughs> Nike guy, and 
Sorry, thank you for that. Um, and but it, but Adidas and, runs the show at the Boston Marathon. You're right. Right, and and Nike has kind of crammed the box for Chicago with Galen Rupp, et cetera. Right. Um, Galen Rupp, you, you know, Mo Fair, et cetera. So if he does run stateside, it may be Chicago, but but who knows? That's a good point. Um, yeah, that's. A, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because because Boston is is died in the wool with uh, with Adidas, and then the New York City Marathon just switched to New Balance over the course of the last year or so. So. Uh, 2017 was their first year with New Balance. Before that, they were Asics. So, so yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, he's definitely the uh, the Nike running community's prized possession, <laughs> if you will. So, right. so, so yeah, I didn't. Even he, think about he's that. the Michael Jordan of our sport. Yeah, he's the Michael Jordan of our sport in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. So, other thoughts or other big takeaways you have on Elliot Kipchoge's uh, 201.39? Yeah, I would say my biggest takeaway just as a running fan was how much fun it was to watch him and watch this, watch him cross the finish line this weekend. I felt like a 12 year old again. I mean, <laughs> as you know, you know, when you and I have, have podcasts and we have our discussions over long runs and when we trade emails about articles we've read, we talk a lot about VO2 max and like take threshold. And we're kind of very academic and very systematic in how we approach our running. But this weekend, it was almost like I was a nine year old watching the Braves in the world series again. It was like, yeah. Just pure excitement, pure joy. It was, you know, really kind of an achievement for the running community as a whole, right? Because it wasn't just that this singular athlete was singularly talented, which he is, but it was also that we've come this so far in the running community and, and kind of what we know and the knowledge that we've gathered and kind of the methods that have been developed. It's amazing to see just – it's amazing to see somebody redefine what is possible. Right. Um, and and it's – that to me was the most exciting part about it. As, as I as I told someone who's not a runner, you know, the running community is one where we collaborate more than most sports, right? Like we're not trying to hide information from each other, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know. And and a lot of this Nike project was to say, let's bring together the best minds and then see what happens when we kind of really devote a lot of resources towards improving these individuals' um, endurance and their performance in in the marathon. And so it was really cool to see, you know, just what was possible. Um, obviously, this is not possible for, you know, everyone, but just to see just how far we've – it, it kind of helped validate just how far we've moved the ball forward in our understanding of endurance and in training and in racing. So that, to me, was one of the cool parts about it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the it, – it was kind of a uh, – in some ways it was a climax or a result of a, of a group effort. Um, yeah, it, it does kind of feel that way. Yeah, and it's and it's very satisfying, you know. It's it's satisfying as a fan to see somebody achieve something that you know that they've been working so hard for. That that may be it for me, and uh, you know, let's hope for some more exciting races in Chicago and New York. But for this particular race, you know, it was it was great to see the the superstar, kind of the 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 poster boy of our sport, get that shining moment um, at a major race, you know, and really kind of validate his experience. Like I said, in a way, almost like the you know, the Michael Jordan championship, you know, where it's like, this is the crowning moment. They've, we've been thinking about this for a while. We've been talking about it for years. And then finally the, the moment pops and we kind of have our, our, our validation for why he's considered one of the greatest of all times. Yeah, I think the LeBron James winning the championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers is a good parallel. <laughs> Very yeah. good. 
Very good. Yeah, and this, of course, like you said, uh, this kicks off kind of fall marathon season here. The Berlin is the uh, the first big major marathon of the fall, and so we still have Chicago, we still have New York in front of us, so, so some pretty exciting things uh, afoot. So we will look forward to those. Patrick, thanks for calling in, man. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed talking about it. We, uh, we just couldn't wait another week to... to, to to start to discussing the excitement or to capture That's our right. excitement. Exactly, yeah. So do go ahead and listen to that interview that we did with uh, Haley Chura over the weekend. It's a great interview. Um, and uh, and do be on the lookout for our regular news and research podcast coming out this Sunday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.